1: Hello, welcome to part two. Part one was yesterday. Well, let's just get on with the show, shall we?
0: So, I am now going to talk to you, lovely boys, about... Valentine's Day, lovely boys lovely lovely boys the proper Valentine's Day uh, like <laughs> let's start by asking this question okay well Ellis has kind of answered it already are you into Valentine's Day and what is the most romantic thing you've ever done I want to just I'm just intrigued let's start with you Chris what, what's what's
1: the most romantic thing you've ever done and are you into it I knew this might come up at some point in this episode, but what I considered at the time to be the most romantic thing I ever done, but actually was the most cringeworthy, terrifying thing that ever happened to me. Absolutely. So I want you to picture the scene. It's year eight. I'm just getting, you know, year eight, you're just getting into girls. I had a crush. On a girl, I'll, I'll say her first name. Her name was Kelly. She was in my class at school. And I decided Valentine's Day was the day I would make a move. Oh, okay.
0: No. So, when there's the most pressure of all. Yeah. When
1: there's most pressure at all. Here was my plan, right? Right. I was going to send her an anonymous Valentine's Day card, and I would supplement that Valentine's Day card with a hundred quid. <laughs> 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 However, a rival child
0: had put a hundred and ten in his
2: <laughs>
0: and swung the deal. <laughs>
3: so, like transferred dental like idea <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There was Midnight an aspect of
1: transfer deadline date to 7. I don't have a valentine. I don't have a valentine. Yeah. Quick, who's on the market? <laughs> <laughs> put some bids in, put some bids out. Um, so I thought, yeah, I'll, what I'll do is I'll give her an anonymous card and I'll tell you what, I'll get her a stuffed teddy as well. I think it was a stuffed dog, actually. It was like a Tuesday morning and I think we had double science, two science lessons in a row. The sexiest lesson. So what I would do is on the first break... When everybody's gone out after the break in between the two lessons, I would get my carry bag that stuffed in my school bag with the dog and the card and leave it on top of her bag, addressed to Kelly. We come back in from the break. Right, Uh, what do you think of this plan so far? I've I've executed the plan. It's the first break. What do you think of it? Um,
3: Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to be very blunt. It's a sort of classic year-eight plan. Yeah. If I'd had the nerve, and I didn't. I it it would have been the same sort of thing I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's there's an awful lot of Margin for error in uh, this plan, an enormous, as I was to find
1: out, an enormous, Any predictions on where it goes from here? Well,
0: so, how anonymous is it when you've been seen walking around school for the morning holding a no. stuffed dog? <laughs>
1: I had quite a big school bag at the time,
0: so yeah, it did fit I, in. I, I okay, had like fine. a big
3: Nike holder, like I was yeah. um, on okay, a cricket yeah, did... tour, even though that's all I had. That. I'm genuinely <laughs> fascinated <laughs> to how this. So, what, what So, <laughs> happened. so I'm, I imagine this is how. I, what I'm guessing, if this had been my school, yeah. one of the rough kids would have found it, kicked it around established from the handwriting <laughs> that it was you and then kicked your head in.
1: <laughs>
0: over to you, Chris.
3: So, we get back in from the break.
1: This girl, Kelly, goes, oh my God, look at this, pulls out the stuff, Teddy, pulls out the card. The whole class, including the teacher, goes, oh my God, everyone comes over to her desk looking through it. I obviously have to join in because I'm trying to be anonymous at this point. Oh my God. And at this point begins what I can only describe as an inquest. Oh my God. <laughs> into who has done it I deny it I deny it <laughs> handwriting begins to get matched no! around the class but we're like 15 minutes into the lesson the teacher uh, say this again the teacher is joining in in the inquest <laughs> oh who's God. done this the teacher's joining in it is eventually not okay bloody I've, Columbo I've, at some point I've become the main suspect oh, no. and at which point I just stop denying it and everyone's like ah Chris did this and I was just like, oh, "I'm just going to stare forward now into the abyss of this science class. I reckon the whole thing was half an hour of just an inquest.
3: When you could have been
1: fiddling about with Bunsen burners, there was laughter. I was like, in my opinion, I don't think it could have gone any anywhere. Oh. Now
0: Chris, I'd already know the answers to this, but did, did it end up that you two got together?:
1: Yeah, married now, three kids) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, that's no. well. And I would actually go so far. We were good friends before that. Yeah. I don't. We. I don't think we ever spoke again. <laughs> it was tainted. Well, do you know what,
0: Chris? I admire the effort. I generally do admire. The effort. I
3: admire the effort.
0: <laughs> what about you, then, Al, Very briefly, what's the most romantic thing you've done? And are you into Valentine's Day?
3: As a teenager, I was so profoundly terrified of what happened to Chris happening to me. <laughs> Had word reached you. That all of my... crushes' <laughs> <Chris's> story <laughs> went across. Yeah, from East London to West Wales.
1: It went from school to school.
3: Not only crossed England, it went into Wales. <laughs> that I kept all my crushes so firmly under wraps. Like, it, it was It was like I'd created a vault in my psyche. Yeah. Like a sort of Fort Knox vault. Because I, I couldn't tell anyone. Because I was just so embarrassed. I thought, you know, it'll get out. And I never thought they'd you know, it would be reciprocated. I remember someone leaving a sarcastic Valentine's Day card on my bag before a yearline DT lesson.
2: Yeah.
3: I remember reading it and for about half a second, oh. allowing myself to believe. A bit like when England equalised in the 1990 World Cup semi-final and all those English fans thought, oh my God, it's on. We're going to win the bloody World yeah. Cup. You know, or when we got to the semi-final of the Euros in 2016, thinking, Jesus Christ, we're going to do it. Just like Greece <laughs> and Denmark. And then, and then realising very quickly that it was sarcastic and thinking, okay, Quell these feelings and pretend it never happened. Yeah. Quell, 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 for God's sake. And if it gives you a stomach ulcer, that's fine. You can deal with the stomach ulcer in hospital. Quell, quell,
0: quell. Well, I think, age 15, if you wanted to find out who I fancied, you'd have, you'd have to have waterboarded me or something. There would have to be some really intense. I'd have to have been on yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: really
0: in <laughs> fire. Process of interrogation.
1: If there's quell a, if there's those feelings now there's any teenagers listening to this, keep your feelings to yourself. <laughs> Lock that slab of disappointment deep down inside your gullet. Don't tell anyone. Well,
3: and yet, when I was, certainly when I was older, I wish I'd been a bit braver because I was, wasn't brave at all. But anyway, in terms of romantic things, I did record Izzy a song once. Oh! But, um, her favourite song, because I lived with a musician at a recording studio. and I'm a very nervous singer. Yeah. I could play the guitar, so the music part of it was fine. It was just the singing, and I think she, uh, I think she, quite liked that. That's so but then sweet. I became very embarrassed, and I just thought quell, 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 and I've been quelling now for fourteen <laughs> years, and it's going really. really One well. of Britain's best quellers. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: on that very briefly, I asked Claire, my wife, if I said, "Do you think I'm romantic?" And her response was, "And this is a quote: I feel like you've done a lot of romantic things for me, but nothing is coming to mind." <laughs> Which I would suggest, if I have, none of them have had any real weight or value or impact. But nothing is coming to mind. Okay, let's get into St. Valentine. So to start this discussion, we need to look at who he was. Okay, so St. Valentine, as well as being the patron saint of lovers was also the patron saint of a couple of other things. Now, would you like to guess what these two things are and how easily oh, they fit with love? It's
3: ridiculous. Is it like the patron saint of theft or something daft? It's in that ballpark of madness. Chris?
0: Violence. So he is the... uh I'm trying to think of the opposite of so love. he's the patron saint of love. We know that. He's also the patron saint of beekeeping and epileptics. There you are. Those are the, <laughs> uh, it's the classic three. The Holy Trinity. Why do epileptics get their own patron saint?
1: It's obviously those three that sit um, so so easily together. But he's also... You've said something, You've said something, Tom, immediately. I didn't realise St Valentine was a man. I kind of thought it'd be a woman.
3: Yeah, I always thought it was a woman.
0: Well, to be honest, he's actually a bit of an obscure individual. And who the real St Valentine was is shrouded in mythology of the distant past. Although... Encased in ice? Encased in chance? ice. Exactly. <laughs> and only love could thaw that ice. Um, but... There's a few options, but historians generally believe that he was probably a Roman Christian who lived on the Italian peninsula in the 3rd century AD. He was a man who was beaten to death on the side of a road not far from Rome and subsequently regarded as a martyr and eventually a saint. It's your classic romantic story. (laughs) Guy beaten to death on the side of a road.
3: Put that on a card. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: that would be an honest image on the front of a valentine's
1: card what the hell is that it's st valentine's (laughs) (laughs) what what are all these bees doing around that corpse (laughs) however at that
0: point there was no strong association between him and love although and this is quite interesting rome did already have (laughs) its yearly celebration which was focused on sex fertility and coupling now this was called Lupercalia, and was celebrated on February the 15th. I'm going to take you through it very briefly, see what you thought of this. Um, to begin the festival, Roman priests would gather at a sacred cave where the infants, Romulus and Remus, Remus, rather, the founders of Rome, were believed to have been cared for by a she-wolf or lupa. Okay, so that's the sort of the start of it. The priests would then sacrifice a goat for fertility and a dog for purification. They'd then strip the goat. Into strips, that strip the hide into strips, dip them into sacrificial blood, and then they'd head into town and they gently slap the women with the bloody goat hide. Oh my good grief! This was uh, their equivalent of Valentine's Day at that point, and the Roman women were very pro this. They they liked it because they believed it made them more fertile in the coming year. Are you feeling romantic?
1: Are you feeling sexy? If you're, well, I,
3: I've done it, <laughs> and it was horrible. So um, it didn't work. Yeah, you know, I just wouldn't do it again.
1: It is a bit disarming that throughout history, people just love sacrificing yeah. a goat. They're poor yeah, goats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
3: It comes up a time and again, doesn't it? If you were doing a one-day time machine, for God's sake, don't go back as a goat. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Because yeah. all cultures globally ever... <laughs> I've been into <laughs> sacrificing you. You'd last about 10 <laughs> seconds. Not least with you're clothing your
0: hooves would mean you'd struggle with the controls as well. There's another reason. Is you're trying to get back from the past and you can't Chris the-
3: <laughs> Could you use your horn that's a, point on That's it? a good observation from Chris. All over the world, yeah. people have been sacrificing goats. Poor sons. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, That wasn't the end of it. Uh, according to legend, at the end of this celebration as well, all the single women in the city would place their names in a huge urn and the city's single bachelors would then each choose a name and become paired with that lady for a year. And these matches often ended in marriage. It's kind of like the original married at first sight sort of vibe. Married at first sight. Yeah, exactly. Is it is exactly like that? that, exactly. But you're stuck with them for a year. That's basically what happens. So you draw a random lot and that's who who you would be with. I mean, Ellis, you talk about the idea of suppressing your feelings as a teenager. Maybe that would have made life easier if once a year there was a huge urn that was pulled out in, in the middle of the playground. <laughs> I would <have> taken
3: that. <laughs> Any day of the week.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a way better way. Of what
3: doing a win! It. I would have been absolutely thrilled with the old uh, <laughs> the urn the earn system. Would have been absolutely perfect when I was in at year nine. If I'd have been offered that, I would be taking that option all day oh long. Just God, take all, yeah. take
1: all the stress out yeah. of it. Okay, just you've just got one relationship. You just we'll tell you what that relationship is. Just
3: make it work. Great, I'm in. None of the stress. I'm, my kids are too young for this kind of thing. But when they're teenagers, I'm going to go straight to school to the head and say, have you heard of the Roman urn system? Because <laughs> if their teenage years are like mine, you'd really, really <laughs> be doing my children a favour.
0: So Lupercalia survived the initial ride of Christianity, eventually being outlawed at the end of the 5th century by the Pope as being unchristian. Uh, this is Pope uh, gelasius who at the same time declared February the 14th as St. Valentine's Day. So this is quite interesting. The reason 14th of February was put down as Valentine's Day was partly to sort of distance itself from this Roman celebration, which they saw as unchristian. However,
2: ah. the
0: connection between love and Valentine's Day would not emerge for centuries. And it came from quite a weird place. During the Middle Ages in France and England, it was commonly believed that February the 14th was the beginning of mating season for birds. And so people start to associate this Saint's Day with love. So in 1375, Geoffrey Chaucer became the first person to officially record Valentine's Day as a day of romantic celebration in his poem, The Parliament of Fowls, where he wrote, for this was sent on St. Valentine's Day, when every fowl cometh them
3: to choose his mate. So... Do you know what? Yeah. Yeah animals doing it. Never it's not, it's, it's not a subject we will
0: If you're looking for new careful, episode ideas
3: <laughs> that never makes me think. Yeah. Oh. For instance, I live in urban South London and I I hear foxes have sex all the time. Yeah. When I hear foxes have mm-hmm. sex and never it never makes me think. Mm-hmm. Oh, I won't mind uh, oh. a <laughs> lovely little <laughs> bit. bit of human sex, actually.
1: <laughs> well, if the foxes are out right in love,
3: if, if the foxes
1: can, not hear it. Love's in the air.
0: I once went to a like an antique shop with Claire in France. Yeah, and I found this beautiful oil painting, a beautiful oil painting of fields, lovely blue sky, the sun cresting over it. Just lovely painting, and I brought it down to Claire and said. We should buy this. This is so beautiful. And she said, "What are you talking about? Look at the front and down in the foreground. And I hadn't noticed this. There were two basset hounds shagging. <laughs> One was mounting the other from behind.
2: <laughs>
0: it's the weirdest baiting I've ever seen. Like really going for it, hammer and tongs. I'm so it's such a beautiful, huge painting. The idea that we'd have hung that on that wall and I wouldn't have noticed in the front, <laughs> in the centre, are two dogs going at it." <laughs> I still, still slightly regret not buying that, to be perfectly honest.
3: But yeah, but you're right. You could have had it in the study. You could have, <laughs> no, no. And until and until your children were 16, you could have maybe, I don't know, put a little bit of cloth it. Put a post-it note over it. Over yeah. That
0: bit. Yeah, absolutely. So this is where the link came from. In fact, that it was the beginning of the birds' mating season. And by the time Shakespeare came around, the association with mating in love had grown so strong that it even evolved to cover human relationships in Hamlet. Ophelia even sings how if two single people meet on February the 14th, they would soon fall in love. And so steadily, Valentine romance has kind of established itself as a theme for poets and writers. By the 18th century, things are really starting to hot up. Entrepreneurial writers took up middle class demand for sentimental poetry and published compendiums and Valentine's verses for men and for women. Now, the idea being that you would just choose one of these things, these verses that have been written in this book, you then put that in the Valentine's card that you'd you'd hand to your your loved one. The Valentine's card at that point in the eighteenth century cost about threepence a time, which is equivalent to thirty-seven pounds fifty now, which feels a bit toppy. Oh my
3: god! <laughs> <What>? <laughs> The 40-quid card.
0: It's too much for a card, isn't it? I mean, that's... Do
1: you, do you ever do that thing on Moonpig, like if you're buying a card, a personalised card or whatever, and it says, like, show your love by having a bigger card than a normal-sized <laughs> card? And I've done that a couple of times, and it turns <laughs> up, you're like, why did I get an A4 card? <laughs> because you're also the sort of man who buys a
3: stuffed dog and leaves it on their back, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, In Chris's defence... It was a stuffed like toy. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't like, um, like a taxidermied, <laughs> a taxidermied <laughs> dog, <laughs> which would have been the most <laughs> harrowing thing. If I could che- if I could go back into one day time machine, I would
1: <laughs> swap it for a taxidermied dog, <laughs> a taxidermied fox, because it would really Little have thrown people off the scene set as to whether it was. What me? if
0: it had been? What if said taxidermied dog had been arranged in a position whereby it could hold a small box of chocolates or something like that? There could be a way that you could use that taxidermy to your <laughs>
3: Benefit. It's <laughs> a very West Whealing observation. So, so I'm, I'm, am sorry for all the people who aren't from West Wales who might not get. But very old farmers are often into taxidermy. Really? <laughs> yeah. Whenever I used to go to visit like elderly relatives who were farmers, there would often be like a taxidermied scene, wow. like on the landing. And I used to think, where are you getting that from?
0: Yeah, probably best not to ask, to be honest. To <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Do it yourself. £37.40. <laughs> That's quite expensive, isn't it? I, I, ju- I think I'd rather wow. have the, just have the equivalent in cash if I was given the option yeah, between yeah, yeah. a Valentine's yeah. card or £37.40. forty. I'll go, yeah, I just Imagine just how
1: big it? a moon pig card you could get for £37.50. <laughs> like the size of a car
0: (laughs) lay on his side use it as a tent now (laughs) more general demand for flowers and cards came in the 19th century due to and this is quite interesting um rising consumer spending power mass production and another thing do you want to care to guess what that is it's quite interesting why there was this boom in
1: cards during the 19th century like people were more empowered to forge their own relationships
0: no it was simply mass literacy so uh, of people could ah. read the card. It's quite important that you yeah. can open the card and have a, any idea what it says inside <laughs> or what it yeah, says on the front, course. for that matter. And with this mass literacy, uh, mass production, the Valentine's Day industry became big business, as Charles Dickens called it, Cupid's Manufactory. And a few years later, in 1868, Richard and George Cadbury, owners of Cadbury's Chocolate, had the brainwave of creating a heart-shaped fancy box as a Valentine's gift. However... By the early 20th century, Valentine's Day had started to wane with customers losing interest in Victorian habits. They just weren't really interested in the sort of things that Victorians were into by the early 20th century. And as early as 1930, the Daily Mirror newspaper spoke of reviving this old world custom. And in Sheffield, there was talk of the youth of today just not being likely to indulge in pretty sentiments of Victorian times. But then, this is the final thing, then something changed and cemented Valentine's Day as the fixture it is today. There's a fundamental thing that made Valentine's Day what it is today. Would you like to guess what that was in the 20th century that made Valentine's Day as big as it is today?
3: It's really interesting. Was it film? No, was it not film. In...
0: Oh, okay. It's kind of from the most horrific place, really.
1: Oh, the massacre? No. Valentine's Day massacre?
0: It is World War II in general. So... Because sweethearts ah. were separated by distance from their loved ones and encouraged to mail a valentine to your man overseas and mail it early, as the ah. Daily Mirror said in 1945. And dealers were swamped with demand. And suddenly, Valentine's Day cards were hugely popular again and important as a point of connection. So much so that by 1950, Valentine's Day in exchanging with cards and chocolates had been fully revived. Basically, basically because of World War II and being apart from soldiers and lovers. And as we know, wow. since. it's interesting. These days, it's estimated that around half of the British population spends money in celebration of Valentine's Day with tens of millions of cards sent each year. And in America alone, nearly $26 billion is spent a year on Valentine's gifts. Wow. But World War II really is this catalyst. It really dropped away. And if it wasn't for um, troops going away from their partners, then we probably wouldn't have Valentine's Day as the way we do today.
3: A friend of mine, her birthday is uh, Valentine's Day. And for years, I mean, she still thinks it. She's like, it's such a shit day to have a birthday. Yeah. Because you can't get a restaurant booking. It's just (laughs) full of couples. Yeah. And you go into a pub and it's just full of couples. when she was single, she said it was was genuinely horrible. Yeah. Oh, and it's just, oh, it's, it's just a ball because you can't do yeah. any of the stuff that you want to do, even at the weekend, because people do Valentine's stuff, at, you know, on the sort of the nearest weekends of the 14th. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I had no idea. World War II.
0: And you're right that one of her birthdays was really ruined when a weirdo in her class left her a, a small teddy <laughs> bear on her back. <laughs> Bedroom. As a birthday a present. Birth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's your save. So this week, I'm going to tell you all about love letters, specifically those sent by Mozart. But firstly, have you ever sent a love letter yourself? Ever penned one? Uh, what do you mean? A very proto kind of text message, isn't it? Really, I like write a letter, an actual letter to send to your beloved. Well, anonymous.
3: No, well, anonymous or otherwise. I had a long distance relationship when I was in my first year at university, and we used to send letters rather than emails. Incredibly, did you? Even it was nineteen ninety nine and two thousand. I used to write probably two or three letters a week because I was mad. Did you enjoy that? Was it? Was it kind of?
0: What, what, what was that like?
3: I didn't. Uh, I should love receiving them. Mm-hmm. I used to hope that she enjoyed receiving them as much as I enjoyed receiving them because there actually is something lovely about opening and reading a letter.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
3: I think I might have written letters to Izzy when I was doing gigs in Australia. That's nice. I think maybe back about 14 years ago. I
0: don't think I have. I've done a mixtape. Does that count?
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Mixtape, yeah, well, that's yeah, yeah. That's An audio put love together. letter. With
0: thought and care in their did. It didn't work, yeah. to be honest. The only albums I owned at that time were... Uh, the Lion King soundtrack. I think I might have talked about this. And um, what was the other one? Oh, Woodface by Crowded House. Only own two albums. So it was, and it was eighty percent Lion King. And I did talk between the songs. So I did say, uh, oh anyway, I, like a local radio. And I just wanted to know that uh, it was like that. And I, I just, I I, and I hope this uh, song means as much to you as it does to me. It's the circle of Good life, on. and it gives- <laughs> <laughs> obviously it didn't work.
3: All right, and here's Tom with the travel. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Um. Here's me with the travel. It's everywhere you go, you always take the weather with you. Everywhere you go.
0: it's me with the travel. It doesn't matter because I can't drive. I'm 17. Anyway.
1: Got a text in here from Tom who says, uh, Hope you enjoy this, uh, mixtape?" <laughs>
3: Got a text in from another Four Tom. Four seasons uh, in one. Please, please, please go out with Tom. don't uh, you know, you know what that's regarding.
1: Back to the history, Chris. Uh, back yeah. to the history. So, for many hundreds of years, love letters was the way you communicated with your lover for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the cool thing about those love letters is, in one way, you know, text messages to famous relationships. I'm trying to think of a famous relationship. The first one that came to mind was David Cameron and Samantha Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it's, it's
0: obvious.
1: It's the obvious <laughs> but <you> know, <laughs> I think it's fun, but two hundred years ago, their, their communications to each other would have been via love letters. They're now, you know, they're in history. You can read a lot of these love letters, and so famous relationships through history, you can you can see how they kind of evolved over time and what they were saying to each other because those love letters have been
3: retained. I'm um, reading an, a biography of Lloyd George of David Lloyd George at the moment. And they found a lot of his love letters. And the amazing thing with his wife is that uh, they started going out in the sort of May. They were discussing marriage seriously from the August. They didn't kiss until the (laughs) November. Tom would not let that happen, would he? (laughs) Kissing would be the first item on the
1: agenda. (laughs) first on the agenda. (laughs) I really hope that
0: historians of the future don't go through the text messages between me and my wife when we first met each other <laughs> in some kind of equivalence when they look through these old love letters to work out, it would be mortifying. They're not meant to be read in that way. <laughs> What's this aubergine emoji? Yeah. I haven't said am Just to be clear, I haven't really said those sort of things. And if I did, it would be as a joke. Yeah,
1: follow my yeah. week. So someone reading it. one of those letters of notes evenings where they read out text messages <laughs> in a hundred years time. Emoji, emoji, splash, splash, <laughs> splash.
0: Emoji. What you doing Thursday? Do you fancy? I oh, no worries. <laughs> we maybe try Friday. Okay, no, it's not a problem at all. Try next week. I'll see if I can get a table at whatever. Yeah, it's not. It's not meant to be
1: read.
3: Should we go Nando's again? We can't go Nando's again. Well, also no. If they read our text messages, completely administrative. Yeah, cats need feeding and the bins need to be taken out. <laughs> <laughs> after Beethoven died,
1: they went through his possessions, his letters. This is how a lot of letters are discovered. After people die, they go through their letters and see what's there. Tantalizingly, when Beethoven died, they found a love letter that was addressed to his immortal beloved. But interestingly, it was never sent. And the identity of the woman has never been discovered. So Beethoven died. He kept a letter his whole life that he'd written, but never sent. If they went through my letters at the end of my life, I think you would see... Old council tax bills, yeah. car insurance documentation yeah. from 2007, yeah. instruction manuals for kettles I no longer own. Why was
3: he keeping it's this? Be, I,
1: <laughs> why is he, they're not sending that letter thing. We all know
0: what a ball lake it can be to actually get round to going to the post office or to the letterbox, to be fair to him. It was
1: stamps. Especially in 1750. But one man who wrote a lot of raunchy, flirtatious and playful letters was Beethoven's fellow composer, 18th century genius Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. As a young man, Mozart was as much led by love as by musical creativity. In 1777, when he was 22, he wrote to his cousin to say that I begged the youngest one... Fraulein Josepha to forgive me, say that she must forgive me for not yet having sent her the sonata I promised her and that I shall send it as soon as possible. So Mozart would go around kind of promising young ladies sonatas. What a
3: thing to have in your back pocket romantically. Yeah, I know. That's going to set you apart, isn't it, from the other lads? Arguably better than the Lion King soundtrack broken up into
0: a... uh... (laughs) 45-minute radio show on tape. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: think I'd say, given the option of the two. If you and Mozart were competing for the same woman and you send her your taped version of a local radio show and he's composing in a brilliant sonata, do you think the the girl in question would listen to them one after the other?
0: That would be so humiliating. It would be a situation where both of them are handed to the same potential <laughs> lover at the same time. And it'd just be mortifying.
3: You give her a cassette and she says, how do I play this? These aren't invented for another 180 years. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go, all right, well, I'll, I'll describe it to you. It's a sort of local radio... I'll oh, just forget it. <laughs> well,
1: mind you, Mozart handing over sheet music. What is it? I've got no idea yeah. what this is. It's brilliant. It was brilliant, trust me. So Mozart loved to flirt with women and it didn't stop when he was married, of course. He confessed in a letter to a baroness he'd seen at a concert that he had been driven to distraction thinking about her, until who peeps into his letters? Alas, 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 my wife! And with that, the urgent thinking disappeared. So that's the dangerous thing about love letters, isn't it? He was if you're writing where you're trying to have like a, a letter affair. You're leaving a lot of correspondence and
3: evidence. Yeah, around. yeah, absolutely.
1: But when it came to Mrs. Mozart flirting with men in a similar way, allowing a young admirer to measure her calves at a party, for Classics. instance. Classic. To what? Measure her calves? Measure her calves at a party. You no, know, some things never
0: change. It's interesting, isn't it, that these these old traditions still remain today. That's, that's how Claire and I met. I never go to a party without without a ruler. <laughs>
1: If you're going to measure... So, oh, you're measuring the height of the calves. Yeah. You're surely measuring the... Oh, do you think it's a circumference, circumference? Do you? Okay, yeah,
0: I thought, yeah.
1: I thought <laughs> length of calf. <laughs> You've been measuring the height of calves. You hold up, wow. No wonder you're so unlucky in love. But anyway, when Mozart saw someone, a young admirer, measuring his wife's calves, he's known to have become extremely jealous. On another occasion, he reproached his wife, telling her that a woman must always make herself respected or else people will begin to talk. So Mrs. Mozart was Constance Weber, with whom Mozart fell in love at the beginning of the 1780s. They married on the 4th of August, 1782. The nuptials took place in controversial circumstances because Mozart's dad and Constance's mother were both heavily against the union. Constance's mother thought the relationship would bring her daughter into disrepute. She once even threatened to send the police around to Mozart's house where he was, according to her, living in sin with his bride-to-be, intending to bring her daughter home by force if necessary. I don't know. I mean, I'm quite fortunate in that I never had that much friction in the start of the relationship with my now wife. It's hard to imagine in this day and age if the mother-in-law's the threatening to send around the police yeah that the I things don't know that though, actually proceed.
3: I am aware of relationships where the parents in law or prospective parents in law absolutely hated the person really and then yeah, 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 and that's wow, that's awful. Yeah. you can't ring the police obviously, but you can put an awful lot of pressure on your son or daughter to say that they're marrying or engaged to the wrong person. Wow, but yeah, yeah. It's stressful. But also the idea that Mozart would bring someone into disrepute. Yeah. The greatest composer of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Who were they hoping for?
0: <laughs> what yeah. sort of... You must, to be fair, you have, must hold your daughter in high esteem if you think that, oh, you no, know, well, the greatest could composer better of better all Mozart. time is you could do better.
1: I think you should pick the guy who's doing local radio shows, the cassette. <laughs> I think he's a safer bet. <laughs> Circle of Life is a banger. Anyway, after the mother-in-law, Mozart's mother-in-law threatened the, with the police, Constance and Wolfgang married hurriedly just two days after the threats. And then Leopold, Mozart's dad, he was against the a relationship as well. So he, Mozart, in telling his dad, wrote him a letter because he was scared to tell him to his face. And in the letter he said, who's the girl I love? Well, don't blow your top, it's Constance. Wow. There you go. So he wrote a letter rather than tell his dad what he'd done. That's so interesting. But fortunately for Constance, Mozart was genuinely in love Aww. with her, writing her all sorts of charming epithets in his correspondence. He would call her dearest best little wife, or dearest little wife, dearest bestest girlfriend, darling wifey, or the more formal but francophone, my
3: dear spouse. All of those made me feel nauseous. <laughs> my dear spouse.
0: <laughs> what was the first one, my dear little wife? Was
3: that what it was, dearest
1: best little? wife. The good wife. thing about it is none dearest of them are patronising.
3: My best little wife sounds did. like he's got more than one. Yeah, it one. <laughs> one. he's a big mist, which he in groups into size, height groups. You're the best of the little one ones
1: of my wives. Yeah. Do you know the other thing about Mozart's letters is he was well into kind of scatological humour, like fart jokes and poo jokes and and Ugh. knob jokes. It's funny, isn't it? That like someone I would consider to be so highbrow and so intelligent was still just obsessed with the silliness of kind of fart and poo oh, jokes and all God. that. So in the age before thirsty DMs the love letter was the only way to transmit desire between two people as we've established. The interesting thing about this correspondence I'm reading you between Mozart and Constance is it is a little frank but of course it was never meant to be seen with our eyes it was never meant to appear on this podcast 200 years later same way as Tom's Text to Claire. <laughs> never, you never expect those to see the light of day, but here we yeah. are. A few years into their marriage, whilst Mozart was away on tour, a letter arrived for Constance in which the composer told his wife how much he missed her. Oh, how glad I shall be to be with you again, my darling, he wrote. He actually, when he was away on tour, had taken to talking to a portrait of her that he kept in his hotel room. And he would be known to utter some of his pet names for her to the picture, including
3: Little Rascal and... Pussy, pussy. Oh dear. Also, imagine taking a portrait of the girl you you <laughs> fancied with you on tour. A big frame. Would portrait. have been right. Like, the
1: thing about Mozart. If you were arranging Mozart's rider, I guess you know, is it more outrageous than you know Elton John asking for a loads and loads of flowers in the yeah. dressing room, or a Van Halen with a no brown M and M's rule? It's like, oh, Mozart's got a little picture of his wife. He's going to talk to. Is it that weird? Yeah, it's... If
0: someone's taking a portrait round of their girlfriend, I'm thinking that's definitely their first ever girlfriend. That is someone who's <laughs> <laughs> not used to the rhythms of romance. He's new to this, surely.
2: <laughs> and he's desperate for everyone to was... know
0: that he's got a girlfriend. The other thing is briefly, these hotel rooms, we have to remember this is, this is pre-hotel rooms with televisions and things like that to distract yourself with. So you've got to put something up. Look at
3: yeah,
1: it's quite boring in there. I imagine. Back to Mozart. So he, in his correspondence to his wife while he was on tour, he said things like this in the letter: "You will get on the first night a thorough spanking on your dear little kissable ass, and this you may count upon." No, Mozart wrote that. Mozart wrote that. Bloody (laughs) hell. And another letter sent in 1789... It's weird reading this out because uh, this is history. It feels like, oh, this is the, this is boredied in the extreme. Kissable arse made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. So in 1789, he wrote another letter to his wife, Constance. It appears he may have crossed the line in decorum because some of this is kind of crossed out and blotted out. No one knows who blotted it out, but this is what it says. Just get another page, mate. Just start <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. Buckle up for this from Mozart. Arrange your dear sweet nest very daintily... For my little fellow deserves it indeed. He has really behaved himself very well, and is only longing to possess your sweetest blotted out. Just picture to yourself that rascal. Dot dot dot. Mozart. Can I say I, I, I prefer his, his music <laughs>
0: of the two? <laughs> I'd rather sit in a concert hall and listen to that to have those read out
1: for an hour. It is weird, isn't it? Are we crossing the line in kind of privacy for Mozart? I mean, this is all out. There. Yeah. There is no difficulty translating those euphemisms. I just read out with modern sensibilities. And I imagine we can guess what was in those blotted gaps. Oh, my God. One of the last letters Mozart ever sent to his wife a year or so before he died, aged only 35. This is what blows my mind. All that stuff Mozart did. He died at 35 in December 1791. He moved past his physical urges, past the play and the flirting, into a mature love that he felt he needed to express. And this is where we'll end. Dearest little wife of my heart, he wrote, I am as excited as a child at the thought of seeing you again. If people could see into my heart, I should almost feel ashamed. Perhaps if you were me, but as it is, everything seems so empty. Adieu, my love. I am forever your husband, who loves you with all his soul. we oh, oh, so can Mozart. do sweet. He can do sweet. Amazing. He can do he can. I'll I've never no ideas,
3: be able to listen no. to his I'll music again it.
0: in the same way, will you?
3: No, neither will I. That's it.
0: Whenever no. <laughs> I right hear that, I'll be thinking when about happened? him talking about kissable asses and stuff like that. <laughs> and you have no idea what this if man was really
1: like. <laughs>
0: it's an absolute, absolute filth don't. bucket.
1: <laughs> Next time I listen to Classic FM staring out the window, I'll just think about horny old yes. Mozart. Ugh. Right, that's it. This is where we say goodbye to the non-full-timers. Thank you for listening this week. Hope you enjoyed uh, all these history parts we've delivered to you over the last couple of days, from horny Mozart to the made-up St Valentine's patron saint that Wales has created. Uh, Hope you've enjoyed all that. But there's still more, isn't there? If you want to stick around, you can. Yeah, there's a fourth part. And there's bonus episodes every month. If you want to become an oh, what A Time full timer and support the show, you can go to owattatime.com. Oh, there's all the options there. You get bonus episodes, extra part of the show, and you help fund the lifestyle of our historian, Daryl, who does such fantastic work in bringing you all this history every week.
0: And Chris, what will we be covering in the fourth part? What is what is coming up?
1: Oh, the fourth part is the history of dating. Oh, that's buckle up! Oh, buckle up! It's an interesting one. If you want even more history, go on your Apple Podcast app. You can become an Oh What A Time full-timer or on another slice.com forward slash Oh What A Time. But all the options are on Oh What A Time dot com. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.